Hi everyone, welcome to the Movie Good or Movie Bad podcast. Today is the A24 2023 recap episode. James will now attempt to speak about 20 films in roughly 30 minutes. Please enjoy this episode. Hey Haley, thank you for the intro and welcome everyone to the Movie Good or Movie Bad podcast. My name is James and welcome to the first episode of 2024. This is really exciting. This is our A24 2023 recap episode. I'm covering 20 films in about 30 minutes. That feels like a mistake in so many ways, but yeah, we're here. It's going to happen. If you want to know, because I think people know if you follow me on TikTok or Instagram, I was talking about how I record this episode previously. I forgot to plug in the microphone, and I want to say if you're recording a podcast, the most important thing you do is actually plug in the microphone. Uh, <laughs> the first attempt of this episode was recorded, and the audio is just really, really poor, and that's okay. We're back again. I'm excited to talk about all these films again. I think I have a lot to say, and uh, we're going to get to it. I just want to say if you're watching this episode on Patreon, you'll see that I'm wearing my A24 Death Stranding t-shirt. I'm so, so excited for this movie and this adaptation, uh, and I think the A24 Death Stranding logo is just fantastic. I have no idea if the shirt is going to constantly be on press or on sale, uh, but I want to get it as soon as I can. Uh, I do not imagine they're going to make this film very quick. I cannot see this being a quick production. I feel like this will not come out until like 2026 for sure, but who knows? We'll see. Again, if you do want to see this on Patreon, it's only $3 a month, and you get to see some other updates from me as well, and just kind of support the podcast and my TikTok. I also want to name this and remind this as we get closer, but we are doing a listener's pick episode of the podcast. It's where two listeners get to pick two movies that are covered for the podcast. I literally take everything that's put on to a Google form, put them on a wheel, just spin it, and we're going to talk about it. It could be thematically nonsensical, like, I don't know, Ratatouille and Seven Samurai, or it could be something that's very, very similar, like Seven Samurai and Harakiri. Uh, who knows? It's all completely random. I think it's a really fun time. We're going to be doing this episode sometime in March. If you'd like to submit some films or some hot takes for the podcast, please, please do so in the Google form in the description. I also want to apologize for the sound of rain. We're in the middle of a storm, and there's going to be some heavy wind as well. I feel like that captures the chaotic energy of everything that's about to happen in this podcast. All right, so let's get into talking about these A24 films, all right? So there's about 20 or so of them off the top of my head. I don't know the exact number. I'll count them at another time. But I did break these films into different categories. I think that's a good way of thinking about the releases this year. I also want to name there's about five films I haven't seen. The way that A24 released those films are just kind of the way that they've been received generally. I think that's important to talk about here. So here are the different categories for the A24 films, in my opinion, for 2023. There's the little guys, there's the weird little guys, there's the re-releases, there's the streamer movies, there's the documentaries, there's A24 horror, and then there's the award contenders, which are the big ones, the big four, the ones that I feel like everyone wants to talk about. We'll save those for last. Let's talk about the little guys. Let's make sure they have space in this conversation. So in my opinion, there's six films that fit into this category. I'm going to talk about the ones that I enjoy the most and kind of go down from there. So let's start with Close. It's one of my favorite A24 films ever. It's a film that came out early, early this year, and I'll say January, February-ish. It was the Best International Feature Film nominee for Belgium. Uh, it was a film that did get nominated. It wasn't just shortlisted, and it follows two young boys who experience a lot of physical close just a lot of emotional closeness, and uh, they're ostracized from it because of school, and one of them starts to act out because of it, and leads to something very, very unfortunate. I have to name that Close is one of the most devastating A24 films I've ever seen. It's just heartbreaking to see what happens to these two young boys. They're so, so close, and because of the expectations of society and what's placed on them, they feel like they, they can't have that. And I feel like that's something that's too real, something that we do see. And I feel like the full consequences of that are not reckoned with in this film, and that's not a critique of this film, but I feel like it's a reflective of society when we don't let young boys experience experience their feelings and what something happens to them. Um, and, and Close is just tremendous. And I do want to say, if you do want to watch it, please, please, please uh, be gentle with yourself while you do so. Have to name showing up. If you're familiar with Kelly Record, she's such an important voice in slow cinema. 
Uh, she's been very prominent, I would say, in the independent filmscape for about 20 or so years, I would say. She had a film that was released in the mid-90s, but not very well-received or didn't really have a lot of attention, really. But showing up follows an artist who works in an art gallery trying to get her friends and family and co-workers to all finally show up. And I feel like the title of the film perfectly describes what's going on. You're just trying to show up for other people and be present for them, whatever way that is. I feel like the way that we show up for so many people is so, so different depending on the situation, who they are, etc. I think all that is very, very valid. I feel like showing up really examines what happens when someone expects you to show up in a different way and you're not really willing to show up in that way. It's a quite a profound film. It's one that has some really remarkable performances. Uh, Michelle Williams, who's previously been nominated for a number of Academy Awards, I was shocked she wasn't nominated for showing up. I think it's one of her best roles ever. Uh, Hong Chow, who's also gotten some nominations, most recently for The Whale, and uh, Andre 3000's in the film. They're all amazing. Really amazing supporting cast. If you ever want to get into uh, Kelly Records' works, showing up is actually a really fantastic place to start. I do really want to highlight Earth Mama. It's a favorite of many of my mutuals, many of my friends. So this is a film that's a feature-length debut from Savannah Leaf. She previously directed a lot of commercials, and I feel like a lot that is very, very transparent in the work, not in a negative way, but just in the way that people approach things. I just want to say, like, you can tell if somebody has a background in making music videos or commercials or whatnot based on the way that they approach their feature-length films, and I, I felt a lot of that watching Earth Mama. Um, but we follow a pregnant woman after she's trying to reunite with her two children who are in the foster care system in the Bay Area. It is a very, very tragic film, and it's a film that meditates so closely on one feeling. Um, it's a very strong mood piece, and I feel like what's so remarkable to me with thinking about the film, so many people for their directorial debuts, they're so afraid to get close to that emotion or sit in it or kind of rest in it. I feel like Savannah Leaf does all that work, and it's just so, so special because of it. It's a film that really stuck out to me. It's a film that I really wanted to see in theaters. Uh, I did know it was in D.C. and I believe July, and then all of a sudden it was just available on PBOD, on paid rental, and uh, that's how I eventually saw it. Um, do check this one out, though, if you are interested, for sure. I have to highlight Medusa Deluxe, so this is a film that I just liked. This follows a kind of PI detective as they're investigating a murder that's taking place at a hairstyling competition. It's a film that's very stylish. There's these bright neon hallways. Uh, it's an extended one-take, which is very, very unique as well. I have to say what I really enjoyed about this film is it had a lot of twists and turns I didn't really see coming, and I felt like that was really, really engaging. I think it's a really cool narrative. I did enjoy the ending, but I felt kind of underwhelmed at the same time. I feel like it's a film that really suffers because of its long take. Particularly in the case of Medusa Deluxe, you follow one character for maybe 10 minutes or so for a scene, and then the camera follows their back and tracks them for like 30 seconds until they move to a new location, and then you're in another scene. The film kind of rinses and repeats in a way that's very repetitive in a way that I kind of noticed, and uh, it made a lot of the shock value disappear with time, and it also created a lot of dead space. Uh, it's not really a long film, I believe it's about 90 minutes, but when you're having the camera track multiple characters from scene to scene to scene, it doesn't really lend itself to anything. It just kind of makes a film that's very slow, very choppy, and one that ultimately becomes a little bit more predictable than you're expecting from a structure format. And last but not least, I do want to name When You Finish Saving the World. This is Jesse Eisenberg's, I believe, directorial debut. If not, it's one of his earlier films. Features Finn Wolfhart and Julianne Moore as a mother and son who are kind of enmeshed with each other, I would say. A very stereotypical relationship. I feel like there's a lot of quirky characters here. Nothing is really done with these characters, and they're just so unlikable that I feel like it was just a very unpleasant time. I think that Jesse Eisenberg was trying to go for this coming-of-age kind of feeling, and it just never really hit for me. Um, it's a film that premiered at Sundance, I believe uh, sometime, well, obviously because of Sundance, sometime at the end of January of 2022. Premiered in theaters exactly a year later. Uh, had a very limited theatrical window. I think it was playing by me 
me for about two weeks, and then again, PBOD. A lot of these films have had really, really small releases. I think that's really notable to me because I feel like there's a lot of chatter online about all these trailers I just named before for these movies. Uh, there was a lot of hype behind all of them. People want to see them. A lot of these trailers, too, when you go back and watch the initial trailer, they don't give a date. They just kind of say coming soon and leave it vaguely at that. Uh, I remember that with Close. I remember that with Earth Mama. I remember that with Medusa Deluxe. I feel like it's the same with showing up and when you finish saving the world. And then all of a sudden they were in theaters very briefly and then they're in PBOD and it's very, very hard to see them. I live in a large metro area. Like I live in Baltimore. It's not the biggest large metro area in the United States, but I live close to DC. And even then it was really hard to catch any of these films. And the only one of these I saw in theaters was close, despite me wanting to see all of them. And that kind of leads me to the sixth film in this category, which is one I didn't see all dirt roads, taste of dirt. I wanted to see this so, so badly. This got so much hype out of 2023 Sundance and uh, it was impossible to see. It was impossible to see released November 3rd. I remember that because that's the same day that Priscilla was going to be released. Uh, it was, was released in theaters. I can't remember if that was limited or nationwide, but the thing that was disappointing about that is I did not find All Dirt Road's Taste of Dirt at any of the theaters by me or even any of the ones in uh, D.C. And now it's available on PBOD after a fairly quiet release, after a fairly explosive debut. Um, I believe it's the director's debut. Can't remember their name. To have such an explosion of a reception kind of out of Sundance and then kind of see A24 kind of drop it off. It's just a really disappointing end to a very long year that they've had. Let's talk about the re-releases. So there's two re-releases this year. There's Pi, which is Darren Aronofsky's uh, debut film, came out in 1998. Very weird, strange little film. I'll just kind of leave it at that and stop making sense, which is ahead of 40th anniversary. Uh, if you know Talking Heads, if you know David Byrne, that's his band. This is the documentary based around their performance. Um, so why Pi? I wrote this down. Darren Aronofsky now has a relationship with A24, right? He did The Whale. He got them two Academy Awards for, I believe, Makeup and for Brendan Fraser. Uh, that's something that A24 really wants and very much needs. Not saying that they're completely focused on awards, but again, companies want rewards. It helps give them a lot more credibility. And in a world where the majors are so, so big, a company like A24 wants as much credibility as they can. And they got a lot of it with the 2023 Oscars. And I think to have a film like Pi, which probably didn't have great distribution when it first came out because Darren Aronofsky was a nobody, no offense, and to re-release it and be like, hey, you know, this is a film from a very beloved filmmaker. Go see it in theaters. You know, that that does a lot. That that adds a lot of goodwill, and I feel like Darren Aronofsky is going to be in A24's pocket for a long time, especially considering that he's making their Elon Musk A24 biopic. Um, why Stop Making Sense? I think it was fun. I will name I was very shocked that they were really Stop Making Sense, because uh, Janus Films and Criterion Collection, if you don't know, they're a boutique film label. They do a lot of higher-end releases that are important to the film canon, and uh, Stop Making Sense is released through them. Yeah, I would have expected if there was going to be a new 4K restoration that they would have handled it. Don't know how A24 got a hold of it, but it makes me wonder if they're playing something with David Byrne in the future. We gotta talk about the streamer movies, and there's multiple ways to interpret this. So one, there is one streaming exclusive movie that is a narrative film, and that's Sharper. It follows Julianne Moore, Sebastian Stan, Justice Smith. Uh, it follows a family that is kind of crumbled apart due to the actions of people outside of the family. It's a bit of an anthology film that jumps from person to person to person. One thing that I didn't really like about this film is once you kind of pick up on that's the format of the film, nothing is really shocking because you're kind of waiting for everybody's turn. And every single one of those little segments kind of has the same rinse and repeat pattern and it's kind of boring. I do have to say the film is visually beautiful. 
I think the performances overall are fine. I remember liking Julianne Moore's performance quite a bit more, but again, this feels like very much low ball for her, especially compared to her other films. But I do want to take it, talk about the other interpretation for streamer films. So right now, A24 has multiple deals with different streamers. So right now, they have exclusive films on Apple TV+, they have exclusive films on Netflix, they have a current deal with Showtime that allows all their films, once they've played in theaters, to play on Showtime after a certain period of time. I believe it's three or four months, something like that. And that deal is going to transfer over to Max, and I was expecting it to be in 2024 that's kind of the way it's been described yet for some unknown reason there's a bunch of a24 films currently on max and some that are currently on showtime and i think there's some overlap and i don't really know why um i feel like this has gotten very very messy very quick i understand the case of the showtime max kind of deal uh they're just transferring that over i think that's a smart idea i think max is a much more well-known service that's much more subscribed I get that there's not a lot of goodwill around Warner Brothers or Max as a company, but again, more people are subscribed to Max, more people are going to watch A24 films, especially if they know, hey, this is where you can watch all of them. I think it's very disappointing that there's some films that are trapped on other services, and because it's so minimal, I feel like it won't be the hugest loss, but I do think it'll bite people in the butt, you know, if they're trying to watch every single A24 film, or maybe sometime along the line, I could see it causing some real issues. So speaking of some of the documentaries, there was two documentaries this year from A24, they were both streaming exclusives, there was Stephen Curry under Raid, which I saw many people's top 10 uh, documentary list of the year. I believe it was on the Letterbox top 10. I, I can't remember for sure for documentary or not, but I'm fairly positive that the Netflix documentary The Deepest Breath, which was also from A24, was on the top 10 Letterbox documentary list. Haven't seen both of those, but of course I'll cover them sometime down the line, especially for my A24 series. I am very excited to see The Deepest Breath. This follows a free diver and kind of just the triumphs that they go through. I do want to say that I've heard The Deepest Breath has really made people respect divers so much more. It is a really, really challenging job. It is a lot to have that constant pressure constantly put on your body. I have no idea how James Cameron kind of does it in a summary, but I'm sure it's a lot more different when you're kind of putting your actual body into the water and diving and diving. It's really, really challenging, and most people don't dive uh, well past in their 30s, as far as I know. The Stephen Curry documentary, I think it follows his career from 2008 to 2021. That's pretty significant. That's pretty outstanding. I'm not sure if it's made up of archival footage or footage that's existed, or they've just been following him this whole time, kind of hoping that something would happen, which, you know, is very fair. That does happen nowadays. And uh, H24 happened to pick this up, but I've heard really, really good things about both those documentaries, and uh, I want to check it out. I do want to talk about Occupied City. This is one of the five films I haven't seen this year. It's a documentary directed by Steve McQueen, probably best known for directing 12 Years a Slave, Shame, Hunger, and many, many other films. Uh, this is a documentary that's incredibly hard to find. I've not found it. It was released supposedly on Christmas in theaters. Can't find any proof of that. Have no idea why that's, you know, why it was named that. Uh, also have no idea why A24 released it so closely to their other releases, but it feels like they're almost trying to bury it. Um, this is a really weird documentary. It's a film that's an adaptation of a book about Amsterdam being occupied by Nazi Germany from, I believe, 1940 to 1945. And a lot of the footage that's interspliced between this documentary is footage that was taken during the pandemic of people wearing masks, people being socially isolated. And from what I've read about the film and from people who reviewed the film, it feels like there's a pretty strong connection that's made in the film about the COVID-19 pandemic and also Nazi Germany. Maybe the comparison made in Occupied City felt really appropriate to Steve McQueen in 2020, but as of now, it really does not in 2023. It's a film that's aged really, really poorly. You know, I worked at a film festival in 2021 where I was on a screening committee and I watched many films. And I want to say of the 60 to 80 films I watched, I want to say a good two thirds to a half were COVID related. And it was very, very depressing. 
I think it's really important to document things while they're happening, and it's also really challenging to make comparisons where you don't know what's going to happen, right? I think it's a lot different when you watch a COVID documentary and you see people really downplaying or people being like, oh, I'll see you in two weeks when we were told the lockdown was going to last two weeks. It was a lot more difficult than that. I, I don't know. There's a lot of COVID documentaries. I feel like you have to be very cautious about the way that you frame them. And uh, Occupied City does not have a really glowing reception. I believe it's sitting somewhere in the 60% range, both on Rotten Tomatoes and uh, Metacritic. And uh, I'll see it eventually. I'll see Occupied City eventually, but uh, not looking forward to it for sure, for sure. And this year, the sole A24 horror film was Talk To Me. I think it's an absolutely brutal, devastating film. It is so relatable to the experiences that you have in high school where you're all sitting around with your friends and being like, oh, let's play a ghost game or let's do this or let's do, well, let's do whatever, right? Because I think a lot of it feeds into peer pressure, right? Uh, there's this possessed hand, obviously, if you touch it and you say some magic words, you can start seeing dead people in this film. It is very, very disturbing, by the way, once you see those dead people for the first time. I feel like the film does a really good job of capturing these characters, don't necessarily always want to do this, yet they're kind of pushed into it constantly over and over again by their other friends. It leads to a lot of mayhem leads to a lot of really disturbing stuff all throughout the film and uh, talk to me is so so brutal and uh i loved it it's a great film not my favorite horror film of the year i also feel like talk to me hits this perfect blend of jump scare horror and elevated horror i don't know if people kind of see that the same way that i do it was a very successful film it definitely has a lot of jump scares but i feel like it kind of hits that middle ground and it's very much needed in the horror landscape i also realized i didn't talk about the weird little guy movies so let's talk about Bo is afraid this follows Bo as he goes on a trip to see his mother i don't want to say too much about that narratively because this film is very very wild. It's very absurd. It's wacky. I love it. I'm a lover of Bo is Afraid. I do want to talk about how I accidentally went to the world premiere of Bo is Afraid. Haley and I bought tickets to a midsummer screening on April 1st at the Alamo Draft House. I thought, hey, you know, this is really, really fun. A24 is sponsoring this. There's free drinks. There's free food. It's sponsored by MW, which is the fictional company inside of Bo is Afraid. And I was like, hey, it'd be really fun if Ari Aster pulled a fast one on us and said, hey, this is really a screening of Bo is Afraid. Granted, we weren't at the New York screening that happened. We were DC, but there was a Q&A live stream, which I thought was pretty notable. I feel like a lot of their live streams are pre-recorded, which, you know, is fair. It's still cool regardless. I also did note in the description of the tickets, it did say that there was going to be a new extended preview of Bo's Afraid. I thought that was cool regardless. And then we get there, and all the people who are working at the Alamo Draft House have MW shirts that have Bo's Afraid, I believe, logos on them. And we quickly got confirmation that it was a Bo's Afraid screen when Joaquin Phoenix was suddenly at this Midsommar screen, which was very weird in itself. And uh, Ari Aster said, oh yeah, by the way, this is Bo's afraid and it was kind of this feeling of disbelief going in the movie because it was just wild to be at this kind of premiere and uh, one of my favorite theatrical experiences ever for sure I have to talk about Dix the Musical because it's such an absurdly funny time. We follow two brothers who don't know that they're actually related, who work at the same company. They hate each other's guts. They realize they have matching halves of a locket and realize, hey, let's get our parents back together who've been previously divorced. I have to say, someone described this as an even more extreme South Park that wasn't referential. I have to say that's very, very accurate. I love South Park growing up. I don't know how I'd feel about it now. But I do feel like this taps in the same kind of humor that you're feeling there. So if you do love South Park, I feel like you'd like Dix the Musical. If you don't like South Park, this is not something to watch. And last but not least, we have Dream Scenario this fall. Nicholas Cage, who is a college professor. Suddenly he starts appearing in the dreams of other people, and he kind of becomes an overnight celebrity. Most of the time in these dreams, he's often kind of docile, kind of just standing there, before these dreams become much more malicious, kind of outside of his control. I feel like this film is a really amazing examination of celebrity, because I feel like there's so much that happens to celebrities that's outside of their control. You know, someone spreads a rumor about you, someone says something about you online, and all of a sudden that narrative kind of dictates the way that people see you. I think about the way that people talk about Brie Larson are just really nasty about her, yet every time when you see her in an interview, 
or see people talking to her. She's the nicest, most bubbly person in the world. People treat her like she is the worst person who's ever existed. Such a fascinating film. I also really love this director's other film that released in the U.S. for the first time this year, Sick of Myself. Really absurdly dark humor, really upsetting stuff, uh, really horrific stuff. I think there's times that Dream Scenario feels like it's a horror film. I also found it to be really touching by the end of the film. Do check this one out. Now let's talk about the awards contenders because I've got some thoughts. One is Past Lives. I have to name this as my favorite film this year. It's one of my favorite films of all time. It's in my top 10. It's an absolutely magnificent film. So let's talk briefly about the narrative for Past Lives. So this follows Nora and Sung. They're two childhood sweethearts. They grow more distant once Nora moves to Canada. They reconnect at a later point and they kind of examine the what if of their relationship did happen because they did love each other at one time. I feel like this is a really beautiful, mature film. It's a film that allows for a lot of exploration that I think a lot of people do have. A lot of people wonder, you know, what if I did this choice or did this thing or both connect to this partner or let this person have another chance or went to the school or etc etc and I feel like Past Lives is the most beautiful film kind of to ever examine that. I feel like Past Lives is such a mature look at the what if because I feel like Past Lives takes a lot of things that people would expect from a western film and very quickly subverts them and I feel like that's very much needed. I feel like Past Lives especially in the context of world post-covid so many people have so many what ifs and I feel like it's the perfect film for that. Um, I feel like I'm starting to see a backlash against this film due to being so acclaimed. I feel like a lot of that has to do with the reaction to a film being acclaimed rather than the film itself. I also feel like people have a lot of insecurities surrounding the film and if they had a partner who left them, if they found another partner that they loved more, or if they started examining this what if. I think Past Lives just really brings a lot of reactions on people. I think it says a lot about them. I'll leave it at that. Do want to briefly talk about The Iron Claw? I will be covering this for the podcast next week. Surprise, if you saw my TikTok kind of covering what's going to happen next on the podcast, I did say we're going to do an Elvis Priscilla episode that is being delayed so I can cover The Iron Claw. I've just been so moved since seeing it. I have not cried hard in a movie ever. Uh, I cried for the last two-thirds of this movie. It's two hours and 15 minutes. I cried for an hour and a half. This follows Kevin Von Erich, who is the oldest living brother of the Von Erich family. If you don't know, they're a massive wrestling family. Uh, they're also known for the Von Erich family curse, which people believe actually kills members of the family due to the patriarch of the family changing his last name to Von Erich. Kevin Von Erich is the only living survivor of his brothers. He had five other brothers. Only four of them are in the film. I do want a name that's kind of a weird choice, and I'll talk about that more in the next episode of the podcast. Uh, I do want to say the film is still moving regardless. It's still amazing. It's still in theaters. Please go check this out if you have a chance. Even if you aren't a fan of wrestling, I feel like anybody who has siblings can really connect to this film. And last but not least, I want to talk about Priscilla. This is a film that I have very little expectations for. I know we just got the Elvis movie. I feel like a lot of people are just kind of like, why do we need a Priscilla movie? Sofia Coppola has had a fairly mixed reception, I think, in the last few years. And Priscilla has been one of my biggest shocks this year, for sure. I think the examination of Priscilla Presley's relationship underneath the guise of what is it like to live underneath the giant that is Elvis is just kind of magnificent. Um, he is such a big overarching figure, not just in history or literally, uh, but he was like the biggest rock star in the world and was it like to be a 14-year girl to just kind of date him and nobody really respect your autonomy or what you should be doing or if you should be in school and uh, so much of her life was dictated by him and I feel like at the same time in this film uh, it could easily feel like the Elvis show again, kind of like the Elvis movie that we got. But this is a film that's very much concerned with us trying to understand what it's like for Priscilla to live underneath these conditions. I feel like I understand it so beautifully. I know people have a lot of issues with the end of Priscilla, but I feel like it's the perfect kind of ending for this type of film. Um, one of the most underrated films this year. It's in my top 20. Please do check it out. That is a whirlwind episode. I have no idea what this is going to come out in the edit. I do want to say something, though, uh, as we think about A24, as we go into 2024 and moving forward. They shared some news reports at the end of the year where they talked about wanting to expand into larger films, making bigger budget films, making IP films, and using intellectual property. Uh, Death Stranding, kind of an example of that. And uh, recently, there was a 24-hour period where they announced the Death Stranding movie. They announced that Alex Garland, Civil War, 
War, which is an upcoming A24 movie in 2024, is their most expensive movie ever at $75 million. Uh, it's a war commentary. I'll kind of leave it at that. They also announced that A24 is doing a Benny Safdie, Dwayne The Rock Johnson movie that all happened in 24 hours. It's kind of insane when you think about it that way. And uh, I think it's all very impressive. I think if they do projects like that, I think A24 can very much succeed. If they start doing kind of random projects that it feels like any other company would do, I feel like that would be very disappointing to see. I feel like regardless, if A24 wants to get big, they have to get better distribution. We live in a global world where people can see trailers at any single moment. All those little guy movies I was talking about earlier in this podcast, all those trailers were so well received online, they were so beloved, and yet it was so hard for people to watch those movies and they kind of lost interest because it became so hard to watch them. A24 has to fix that. You are marketing to a global economy, right? The second that you post trailer on YouTube or Instagram or Twitter, it is now in front of the world's eyes, and you have to do something to help with distribution. I'm not saying every film has to release on the same day, but you've got to release it, you know, one or two months out. There has to be at least a date, at least. Uh, if you didn't know, the film Pearl, which came out in 2022, released, I believe, October 2022 for the U.S., released in April 2023 in the U.K. Um, that's something that has to be fixed. In the age of piracy too, how easy it is to pirate a movie. A24 just has to do much better in terms of their releases in order to combat that piracy because I feel like people will see these big films from them and just pirate them once they're available with a Blu-ray copy somewhere online. Now, A24 is completely capable of fixing their distribution, but something that they really intentionally have to do. That's all the time that we have today. This was such an insane episode. This was so long. I have no idea how this will come out in the edit. I'm so sorry this is longer than 30 minutes. I want to name I want this episode to feel like an appetizer platter. I feel like A24 released so many films in 2023 that were such a outstanding quality. Even films I didn't like, I know they had their fans. I want you to be able to jump in and be like, hey, I want to diversify my taste. I want to check out some of these films. I'm interested, but I don't know where to start. And kind of hear some of my opinions, some of my thoughts, and just some of my reactions. And kind of go from there and make your own thoughts, right? Because even though I love Past Lives, even though I love The Iron Claw, you might not enjoy them. And you might really love when you finish Saving the World, and that's completely okay. I want to give you that option. So thank you all for tuning in this episode. No hot take this week, just because it's been such a long episode. And like I said, for the next episode of the podcast, I'm covering The Iron Claw. I'm so excited to talk about it. It's such an amazing film. I have a very thematically similar film that has one of the same actors also in this film. Uh, I think people will be very pleasantly surprised. If you've seen my Instagram or my TikTok, you know that I'm covering this, but Haley, take us away. This has been the Movie Good or Movie Bad podcast, and we hope you all enjoyed that one. For the next episode, James is talking about Zac Efron and two of his sports films, High School Musical and The Iron Claw. Thank you all for tuning in, and we hope you join us next time.